Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and black lives, culture matters. With us in our virtual studio is Dr. Larry Jones. Um, I'm particularly excited about our interview tonight. It's very timely. He's an incredible thought leader, and I hope that we will inspire you and reveal some uh, mysteries out there with regard to some um, things that we might not necessarily be aware of. Uh, Before we get into our content tonight, real quickly, uh, our program is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. In celebration of that event, we'd like to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. You can get yours. Here's all you have to do. Listen to our show. Several times through the show, we'll be sharing a secret word. Just write that down. And then listen to another one of our shows uh, for a secret word. Write that down. Then email us. Uh, the two secret words. The email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get those, I will forward them to Chad. We will get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine. And then we'll forward you a PDF copy of uh, a future edition of Attention Magazine. Actually, the next one, they're they're printed every two months. Um, Go from there. Um, We're going to play a little uh, clip uh, from from Chad, a little tip, and uh, we'll get into our show. So here we go. Are you looking for books, articles, videos, webinars, and podcasts on managing ADHD from ADHD experts? Search Chad's National Resource Center Information Library to find reliable resources on ADHD for children, teens, parents, adults, teachers, and healthcare professionals. Many of the resources are free online. Go to chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. With us in our virtual studio is Dr. Larry Jones. Dr. Jones is a retired pediatrician. He studied at Wesleyan University in Middleton, Connecticut for three years, then transferred to John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, where he received an undergraduate degree in biology and his doctor of medicine. Thereafter, Dr. Jones completed his pediatric residency uh, fellowship and the uh, Executive Health Care Management MBA program at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. After his medical training and postgraduate education, Dr. Jones remained in St. Louis where he opened a general pediatrics office in 1981, including a specialty in children's learning disability, namely ADHD. Dr. Jones became more involved in treating children with ADHD after his three sons were diagnosed um, with with basically 
uh, genetic brain-based disorder. Since then, Dr. Jones has been proactive in bringing awareness about ADHD to the public health officials, hospital administrators, and physicians. After co-authoring Falling Through the Ceiling, our ADHD family memoirs with his wife, Audrey Jones, uh, about the challenges of raising three ADHD kids in the 80s and 90s, Dr. Jones has trained at the ADD Coach Academy. He serves as an independent authority to assist and guide individuals and families about education and career choices when there are barriers to succeed based on ADHD or other causes. As the founder of Taste of Success Coaching, turning ADHD from stigma to stability is his mission. You can learn much more about Dr. Jones and all kinds of things that he's got going on at his website, enabletables.com, where there you can also uh, get access to his book and many other things. So with that, Dr. Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. I'm particularly excited about having you on, and I'm particularly uh, excited about our topic tonight. And it all resonates from a conversation you and I had. Um, At the end of the day, diversity in the ADHD community amongst thought leaders and leadership is is desperately needed. It's a big topic in the United States of diversity right now. But again, in the ADHD world, where we lack a little bit of diversity, and in talking to you uh, before the show, you really, really had a profound impact on my thought around this. I know that we're trying to reach out um, to, to bring AD, I mean, thought leaders along, particularly amongst the, the black community. And you were talking to me about uh, black culture and stigma. And can you just kind of set the table on this? Because as a pediatrician and working with this crowd, you were describing there's a reluctance of the black community to want to stick out and be stigmatized and mental health issues add to that. Can you talk to us about that cultural issue that you have seen? Certainly. Um, From childhood, you know, there were always these rumors about the medical establishment. There are always issues around uh, the stigma of mental illness. It was hush-hush. It was something that couldn't be discussed in the open. It was basically was kept within the family. And, you know, as I grew, became a physician, those things really stuck with me in terms of the impact that it has on African-Americans' reluctance to seek not only medical treatment, but treatment for any mental or uh, anxiety-related disorders. And it all stems from the fact of the medical trauma that African-Americans have experienced over centuries. And that generational, multi-generational impact has continued with us because it's carried from generation to generation in terms of the stories that are told, as well as additional confirmation when you see acts within the medical community that further substantiate the inequity of African-Americans and other people of color in the medical system, not treated with the same level of uh, respect, intelligence, or equity in the actual treatment. Who wants to stick out and, and stick out with regard to that, with regard to the trauma in the past? That really makes a lot of sense to me. I think if I try to put myself in those shoes, I, I think I would be kind of reluctant uh, myself. 
What's interesting is you said reluctant for mental health, but also just medical help in general. That's yes. pretty profound too. Um, yeah, and you know, like I said, sort of using myself as an example in terms of how those stories persist. As a kid, I'd heard of the Tuskegee experiment, but really didn't know exactly what it was. And over time, I mean, I read a little, some about it in college, but by medical school, I'd read the actual book on called Black Blood. And it outlines the situation of treating syphilis with African-Americans and how we were used as guinea pigs, essentially, even after effective treatment was developed for syphilis to see the effects of long-term, you know, the initial mm-hmm. infection, the secondary infection, and the tertiary uh, results from syphilis. And these men and their families, of course, since they had syphilis, it was transmissible to their families. The trauma of that the medical cost of that, the increased fear of the medical community as this story has been told from one generation to the next. Um, And it was only, I think, in the 70s or 80s when the federal government actually acknowledged this and actually gave some reparations to the surviving members of some of those families because these men obviously all died from the syphilis because it was untreated so you know stories like that and there have been studies that have been done that physicians particularly white physicians feel that blacks endure are are less susceptible to pain so as a result they're given less pain medications i mean these have been random control studies that have been documented multiple times so there are some big potential healing possibilities that really need to take place within the medical community and similarly across the uh, mental health community with regards to blacks and other minorities so am I hearing you correctly that there's this general stuff that blacks are less susceptible to pain? That, that is the feeling of many white physicians. Wow. So, and forgive my ignorance, but part of having you on here is to, is for me and listening audience to understand some of this. So as a pediatrician, did you find that in general – Issues with regard to health were addressed later, like almost in a chronic emergency state, where they were put off for a period of time. Or um, did that play out that way? That way, or oh, very, very much so. And particularly with adults, I can say as a pediatrician that parents were more um, open and accepting of taking their children in than they were themselves. Hmm. That their efforts were towards making sure the children were safe and really pressing that, that fear. Um, as a minority physician, you know, I'm one of them, and that was one of the things that I truly enjoyed during the nearly 25 years that I was in practice, was really to put people at ease in terms of making that visit to the physician easy for the children and easy for the parents. Because, I mean... 
the biggest fun in the practice was really talking to the to the parents, getting to know the children over time, because for the most part, you know, it's you know, pediatrics is a is a happy practice. Um, the fun is in for me was in watching the children grow up. But this whole structure around the fear of the medical community, I really had to work to assure the comfort level of the parents that they were free to ask questions. And one of my philosophies was, if I can't explain to you what I'm doing, then maybe I shouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) So simple, but so brilliant. (laughs) Wow. So back in a weird, not in a weird sense, you've been a thought leader for a long time because you've recognized this and you realize that a lot of it is as asking questions and as a thought leader, encouraging people to ask questions and bring some comfort to reduce that fear to seek that treatment. So it goes far beyond really just necessarily practicing medicine. There's a psychology component to this, which makes some sense now that you're a coach. Really logically follows, and I applaud you for uh, for recognizing and doing that so so long ago. It's really impressive. Oh, thank you. I tell you what, let's go to break. And when we come back, I want to continue this conversation um, and, and expand a little bit more into the ADHD community. Everyone, our secret word tonight is culture. Again, our secret word tonight is culture. And Dr. Jones, you have a book out, Falling Through the Ceiling, Our ADHD Family Memoirs with your wife, Audrey Jones. That's just been released. Yes. Is that correct? Well, actually, it's been out for about two years now. Okay. Okay, and for our listeners, you can get that at Amazon. But I encourage you to get to go check his book out. And there's a lot more at his website at um, enable enabletables.com. Is, did I pronounce that right, Doctor Jones? That's that's correct. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with uh, Dr. Uh, Larry Jones having a great conversation. There's a great need for diversity in the ADHD community. Um, and uh, we're speaking about the black community, but we're really also speaking more about the community at large. Um, and as much as Larry's speaking from his personal experience, before the break, we were talking about the reluctance to seek medical treatment. And specifically at the beginning, we were talking about the reluctance to seek uh, help for mental health conditions. Um, I'm kind of curious, Dr. Jones, because I don't know if it's I've just been living under a rock or just not out in the right places. But my impression is as ignorant as it is. It, there's there's not as many um, blacks in the mental health arena as far as physicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, etc. Is that a fallacy or is there some truth to that? 
yes and no. In terms of psychiatry, definitely. Blacks are a significant minority. In terms of psychologists, I don't think it's quite as bad, but I really can't quote statistics. So that's something I okay. definitely would, will look into and we can discuss further on a, a later session. But the issue is the stigma, the reluctance yep. of communities of color to seek out help for mental illnesses, even something as simple as ADHD. Um, and if I could beg your indulgence for a moment just to give sure, yeah. my personal experience, just a, a paragraph from the book. There's a chapter called Suffering in Silence. Uh, the header was defiant, daring behavior leading to failures, including sexual acting out, running away from home, and inviting danger were our reality in our house full of ADHD. That's you know, from Audrey and Larry, the authors. Mm-hmm. But we were an upwardly mobile, middle-class family. If you asked our friends, they would have said we were loving, active, hardworking, and provided for our children. Yet our friends and others didn't know what was happening inside our house. What happened inside our house stayed inside of our house. Our household of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder was an open minefield of poor decision-making, risky choices, immature behavior, as well as lying and denying. We had issues and covered them up by solving the problems, enabling the behavior, and giving in to the bright ideas of the day. And I think that's a perfect example of the effect of that stigma, be it I guess some folks in research would call it uh, self-stigma. You feel that it would demean you, it would disgrace you, it would make you seem less perfect if you acknowledge something such as a mental illness or ADHD. And I must admit that I personally, it took me a while to be able to talk about this myself, even as old as I am. So it sticks with you over time, and you have to really work at, one, being empathetic, and that this message will help other people. That has been the driving force for my wife and I in terms of, you know, really going on this mission to make people more aware of ADHD and other learning difficulties, particularly as they impact um, the education of our young people. Which is why, A, it's it's time we did the show. B, I really, part of of wanting to do this with you was really to have a forum to get the word out um, because I really feel like we need to inspire more and more in the black community to step up and to help destigmatize this across the board along with the rest of the ADHD community because I will have to tell you, as I reflect back, I have been doing a show a week on Attention Talk Radio since 2009 and in that time, I'm reflecting back and I think the only other black thought leader that I've actually had on the program was Evelyn Polk Green and the story with her, we talked about her when she went to her first CHAD conference 
I think the title of the show was the only ink, like the ink spot among all these people because she was the only one at the conference. And so the, part of this, part of this is we we need diversity in leadership up there, but we, we don't really have a lot of people attending those types of things. And now I'm starting to understand much more why that is and why you're such a valuable asset right now to be advocating for this so that we can get out there to get the conversation going so that black thought leaders can rise and help, um, help the community, help them. Um, and what, what you wrote was so um, articulate. Um, and, and even now, if I, if I recall correctly, you're getting out even in the community talking about the COVID vaccine, trying to reduce the fear around that so that, that, people will yes. go get the vaccine. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, it's been sort of, um, um, you know, I'm a news junkie. I must admit, I mean, I started <laughs> in high school. And I, I've got to have my daily dose of the news, no matter how good, how bad. I have to know. Then I can process what it means. I can process you know, is this something that's going to really uh, make a dramatic change for the bad or for worse? But, you know, when the numbers start to come out in terms of the number of blacks and other minorities, the incidence of the disease was quite striking. So the idea was to try to get more people to go in to be tested, but as I have talked to folks, and, you know, and I have to preface this by saying this is definitely uh, just from my talking with individuals, but it's as though there was some reluctance on the part of the hospitals to test people, and particularly when it came to blacks in terms of access to actual testing. Because I can account for numerous people that I have known that went in and were not even offered the test. They test them for flu multiple times, but then sent them all back home. Hmm. And I'm working now with a very close friend of mine from my church before we moved to Charlotte, who is still suffering from the effects of COVID. I mean, she was uh, basically a healthy person who walked and exercised a lot. And now she's left with pulmonary uh, clots that they can't seem to clear. Hmm. She's been referred to several specialists. And, you know, it's still difficult to get past that for her. She's been on oxygen. She's never been on oxygen. So, you mean, I've seen multiple stories like that. Now, granted, it is a very unusual disease, but then when you come up with a vaccine that is suddenly available within a period of six to nine months, it's unheard of. Mm -hmm. So thinking of it as a layperson, you know, every other vaccine has taken years to develop and that's been touted in the news media. But this vaccine is out in six months. Is it safe? Mm-hmm. You know, they say tested on a large population, all of which the answer is yes. Um, did they look at different uh, cultures and races in the studies? 
And the answer is yes, this is probably the most diversely tested vaccine in the history of mankind. Because typically in the past, those vaccines were tested primarily on, on Europeans and Caucasians. Mm. And this vaccine has been tested, I mean, the numbers that I've seen are around 21 to 25% of, I think about 19% of African Americans and about 15 to 20% of uh, Hispanics. Plus, they did Asians, they did lots of smaller cultures as well to really make sure that there would be no significant cross-cultural um, variation and still came out to be 95% effective against the initial mm-hmm. uh, form of the virus. Um, so, but it's a brand new technique. That's yep. why they're able to do it. This technique yep. was sitting on a shelf somewhere and <laughs> they didn't know how they were going to use it. Yep. So it's, it's, it, that's good news for us right now. Um, and I, when you're, you're out there trying to spread the word to uh, educate people so reduce the fear so they can go in and uh, make that happen, particularly among that community. Is that accurate? Yes, that is correct. Because I'm working with a committee at actually at my church on health and housing. We do have a significant housing yeah. issue here in Charlotte. Excellent. Uh, um, I, both. I tell you what. I don't mean to cut you off, but let's go to a, a commercial break, and let's come back. I want to kind of go a little bit further with this about what the future holds. Again, everyone, our secret word tonight is culture. Our secret word, again, is culture. Please go to um, enabletables.com. There you can learn a lot more about Larry, and uh, you can get his book, Falling Through the Ceiling, Our ADHD Family Memoirs with his wife, Audrey Jones. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Uh, Larry Jones having a great conversation about uh, cultures, uh, and black lives, but the conversation is really a metaphor for just diversity in the ADHD uh, 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 population in general. One, helping uh, people seek treatment uh, for ADHD and also increasing um, our diversity amongst the thought leaders and uh, and the leadership ranks of the, of the ADHD community. Uh, 
Dr. Jones, I think there's definitely a need to to find thought leaders in this space um, and bring them forward, both to help the community and also in leadership. And you're right now trying to get that word out, and I'm hoping that our listeners can can uh, can listen to this and share this with some other people because at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot of us to get the word out to destigmatize this and to inspire. Uh, thought leaders to move forward. Uh, what are you doing on this now and thoughts on the future on how we could accelerate this? Um, actually, one of the other things I'm doing, I'm on the board of NAMI Charlotte and working specifically around that. I actually gave a talk uh, for them, which uh, I will re-record and put onto my website. And that was entitled stigma to stability across cultures, but really talk about, one, defining stigma, what it really means, and then going through multiple references in terms of why the stigma currently persists and ways to begin to eliminate that stigma. You know, unfortunately, um, PSAs have not been the best way to do it unless they're really carefully tested and carefully constructed because prior ones, earlier ones that have been tried to be general around mental illness uh, have really looked at mental illness as a defect which may not really help in terms of destigmatizing it but just transferring the stigma from actually more mental to one that's more physical. Mm-hmm. So as PSAs come out, they're probably going to have to be more specific to the mental illness and really try to, to break down some of, those, some of those myths. And similarly with ADHD, it's busting the myths that I think that are really going to help to destigmatize it. You know, and I had a fair amount of experience with that. I mean, they weren't stated in terms of the patients that I saw and, and parents that I saw with ADHD, but frequently based upon their actions, it clearly was the stigma and the myths that were really working against them until I could actually explain to them that it was not something that they did wrong, that it was to a great degree, genetic. Um, And with that, then I could get folks to really begin to open up and try to really get an understanding that, you know, this is something that can be controlled. You, as the parent, you know, you and I can work together on this to be able to make this child successful within the educational system and at home as well. So it extends not just in school, which was the primary reason that most of the patients came to me seeking help uh, was because of difficulty, you know, multiple calls from the school of being actually uh, suspended uh, from school. Wow. So I'm having a little bit of an aha right now. Um, let me just kind of talk out loud here for a second. It was interesting, uh, not that long ago, a year and a half or two years ago, I interviewed Dr. Russ Ramsey, um, from the University of Pennsylvania, he's been a big fan of the coaching paradigm almost from the beginning. And I had him on the show specifically to talk to him 
an interview about what he's seen in ADHD coaching as it's grown as an intervention. And it was a, it was a profound interview because in that interview, what came out of it unexpectedly was he was crediting the coaching community for getting more and more people in the door and, and destigmatizing it. And then specifically, I was having a conversation with Rick Green of Totally ADD about some other matters. And uh, the the most popular ADHD YouTube channel on the planet is How to ADD with Jessica McCabe. And then second is uh, Rick Green with Totally ADD. And I'm proud to say Attention Talk video of mine is actually a distant third, but we are third. <laughs> and we have been third for a long time. We're very proud of that. But I'm not a TV person. It's only like 2 or 3% of my time. But, but both of those – Jessica and, and, and Rick are, are really kind of TV people, and what, what, what I put together was the, the way it's being communicated, not as necessarily a deficit or, or whatever, but a coaching paradigm is a little bit more you can kind of go forward, is really getting people in the door in kind of droves uh, because of, of the way it's being presented as opposed to the, the, the broken model before. And I'm turning to you on this because – you went through and got certified as an ADHD coach. In fact, I was introduced to you by uh, David Gork. And now with the way you have framed this about getting things to move forward, I really would like to inspire, if you're out there and you're diverse, get into ADD coaching because that paradigm of we're going to coach you to go forward, you're not broken, and to destigmatize this and get people out there really seems to make a lot of sense to me. Now, it is, is that plausible, or is there something I'm missing here? I think you're perfectly correct. And that is one of the ways that we hope that our book will be able to help people is want to destigmatize it. And there's an illustration in the book which came to me, you know, I do not draw, but all of a sudden in the midst of during the final edits of the book, I came up with the idea of a pictorial that would explain really what was happening in ADHD, which is really like going from a storm of cloud, of uh, lack of focus and attention, anger, frustration. And then there's a buoy in the water, which could be medication and treatment, which then stabilizes everything and then suddenly life boys rise up from the water, which are the talents of ADHD, from creativity to adaptability, um, um, all kinds of artistic talents. Those things are not going to be visible until there is some stabilization. The optimism, the intuition, the passion, the confidence, the empathy, Mm-hmm. as well as hyperfocus, which then leads one towards resilience. So I really struggle with the uh, ADHD iceberg. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, because for me personally, my ADHD has been a lifesaver. It has guided me to the point that where I am today. And I don't think that had I not developed some mechanisms very early in life to be able to control what I, what I didn't even know I had, um, that I'd be where I am today. So 
it's the gifts that can overpower what potential problems that can arise. You know, and as I said, I don't know if I mentioned this in our initial talk, but, you know, in medical school, um, I really had trouble. I had to repeat that first year of medical school. You know, I was a valedictorian in my high school class. I went to a um, well-known, um, prestigious university in, uh, in Connecticut. had no trouble with any of that. But once I got to medical school, it's like the whole world turned upside down. I couldn't stay awake in class. I'd never had a problem staying awake in class. And, you know, fortunately with the help of my wife and a very excellent advisor, really, you know, gave me the confidence to really just, you know, pick it all up, start all over, and let's do this because this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. But it was only through the eyes of figuring out what is it going to take for me to get through this, you know, that perseverance mm-hmm. that allowed me to be able to make it through. And that's the model that I'm using with my clients to give them the confidence that, you know, you, know, you put all this other stuff aside. You have the personal strength. You have the will to be able to make it through and do whatever it is that you want to do. And I'm here just to help you make it through those steps to be your sounding board. Yep. The the, the one thing that I've, it's very common. Uh, and I'll, I'll, Ned Hollowell talks about this all the time in his presentations is like, he, you know, he makes, makes a living with words, but when he was in like elementary school, his ADD and dyslexia was difficult. And he talks about this like, first grade teacher, whatever, and everybody would be out running around the playground. And, and she was like a, a bigger woman when she'd like, you know, powder herself or whatever. And he would sit there and she'd put his arms around and kind of hug him and kind of encourage him to read and stuff like that. And he's, it's, it's that, encouragement that individual in your life that encourages you to be who you are and he got through it and he says who'd have figured back then I was struggling so hard and now I'd make a living writing with my word and in a, in a similar fashion there's so many other ADHD success stories where there was somebody there to kind of encourage somebody to kind of go forward and that mindset is what I'm hearing that you're applying here and a mindset that we could take forward to really help destigmatize stuff and really focus on moving forward as a means to get parity and diversity kind of across the board um, in, in a, in a summary format. Does that make sense or, or anything that you makes, want to add? That makes perfect sense. I mean, because if we're not for, um, I call them my guardian angels in high school, which we celebrated at our um, 50th reunion, uh, I would have made it through. Uh, there were three specific teachers that sort of were there when I was really struggling. My mother became ill when I was in uh, in high school with cancer and eventually died in my sophomore year of college. So everything was turned upside down. Um, but these three people were the folks who really worked with me that I could actually talk to. Since, you know, I'm an only child, so I had no siblings. I'm second generation only child, actually. No aunts and uncles, no brothers and sisters. So I was really limited in folks that I could talk to about what was going on in my head and the problems I was having at home. Um, But they were my support. Everyone 
needs that person who believes in them to be able mm-hmm. to move forward and be successful. And I think anybody who says they didn't have that is not telling the truth. Touche, <laughs> touche. Well, well, Dr. Jones, I need to pull this together. Um, I, I want to. I haven't done this before, but I really make a charge. Anybody who's listening to this program um, and is inspired or whatever, please uh, help get the word out. Let's support Dr. Jones and what he's doing to destigmatize ADHD among cultures and the community. I think a great place to start with that is to go to uh, his website and enable tables. Uh, check out uh, his book. Uh, Falling Through the Ceiling, Our ADHD Family Memoirs with His Wife Audrey. I'm sure that's very inspirational, particularly that excerpt that you had uh, shared with us earlier. Um, and and I, I do, I'm so inspired myself that I found you and that you were standing up and the work that you're doing moving forward is really having an impact. So on behalf of myself and the rest of ADHD community, thank you for being there and thank you for what we expect you will be doing for the whole community in the future. So thank you so much, Dr. Jones. And I really appreciate the time you spent to work with me to make this happen. Um, you know, I'm very grateful to you and to uh, to David because I learned so much uh, from the ADD Coaching Academy. It's really sort of fine-tuned and allowed me to do what I wanted uh, wanted to do with the rest of my time. Well, my- I'm hoping. I'm hoping David and I can help support you in a way, Mitchell, you to really kind of catapult you forward on this, this very topic. And so, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And good luck to you, Every- David. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, our secret word tonight is uh, culture. Again, enabletables.com. Go check it out. We hope you've learned something. We hope we've inspired you. Uh, help get the word out. And catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.